0: Good morning. morning. We're talking about uh, being real in our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, and do we really have connectivity? We started last week. We're looking at some very familiar passages to kind of help take us back to uh, examine how real our relationship is. Is it more of a superficial relationship? Is it something that's that is anchored with great depth? And today, I, I want to talk heart-to-heart with you about those moments in our lives that we have trouble and situations that occur to us and uh, in us, and we ask God to intervene. And as we're asking God to intervene, the situation gets worse. And ultimately, it gets to a point where it just cannot be repaired, moments where uh, someone may go to God and say, now, God, I've been diagnosed with cancer. And uh, God, I'm asking you to do something. And the reports get worse and worse and worse. It's those moments when a parent or a grandparent says, hey, um, I got an issue here, Lord, with my child, with my grandchild, with my great-grandchild. And uh, prayer after prayer after prayer, And for whatever reason, the situation doesn't get any better. In fact, it gets to a point where maybe it's just apparent that it's not even repairable. Financially, Lord, I I need a job. I I need a job bad, my finances are in bad. If this this continues, I'm gonna have to declare bankruptcy. I wanna talk to you today about these moments when we have certain situations that God apparently does not address. Now, all of us have been through different sermons, different teaching, different small groups, one-on-one, online kind of educational opportunity spiritually, where we learn about when we pray, God does a number of different things. He says yes, he says no, or he says wait till later. I got all of that, and I think many of you have it. But I'm talking about those moments in our lives when, I mean, we know the Lord heard us, and the situation has gotten so dire that there's no going back. And how do we handle that? And today I'm gonna invite you to open your Bibles to John chapter 11. As you turn there, you're gonna see it's one of the most familiar passages in all the Bible. It is one of those few rare opportunities that we have, that we get to see scripture the Lord Jesus do a miracle that we call a resuscitation. He is going to bring someone that is physically dead, back to physical life. And that's rare in the text. There's just a few of those opportunities for for us to see them. And so many people get carried away by the miracle that we miss maybe one of the great lessons in the entire happening. It's that moment when we're able to see good, ordinary people that are churchgoers. As I look around this group and this, I mean, you are some of our very best. Many of you are some of our finest, faithful followers of Christ. I mean, you really love the Lord. But even in your life, there's gonna be those times that trouble is gonna come. You're gonna ask the Lord to intervene and the situation is not going to get better. In fact, let's take it a step further. It will digress. And in those moments, we so typically get pushed back internally, our own emotions well up and we say, well, maybe the Lord didn't hear us or maybe the Lord doesn't care. We know better, but we just respond that way. And then many times people around us will start making responses. Our unsaved friends will make some kind of observation like, well, we we never wanted to tell you, but we know you spend a lot of time up there at the church. And you do those prayer groups and I don't know what all you do, but you're gone all day Sunday and Thursday night, Wednesday you go up there and we know you give your money up there. And, you know, have you ever thought about going to the mosque with us? Have you ever thought about turning to the supper club? Hey, we've got a bunch of great people that have a supper club. And we're not saying there's no God, but we're just saying, if there is a God, he didn't help you much, did he? And so today, I just want to talk to you about when really tough times come and what we have the opportunity to do. I love this about God's Word. We're able to really get an insight. For godly college students that are going through some tough stuff and God doesn't seem to intervene. For some young married couples that, hey, the marriage doesn't seemingly turn for the better. And, and, and some individuals that have some parental issues and financial issues. It's those moments when we say, God, I need a job. God, I need something done about my health. God, I need this. And it does not turn out the way we hope. There is some information for us here in this chapter that gives us an indication of who God is and how he handles that. And so if there's ever a teaching time that you need to write some things down, Today would be the day. So my little prayer is that somebody near you has some lipstick, mascara. Maybe you have brought a pen with you today. Or maybe God ordained someone to sit near you that has one of those huge study Bibles with one of those big covers. Has 15 pens and pencils stuck in there, okay? But I am going to encourage you to grab something to write with. Open up your Bibles to John chapter 11. And we're going to look at an enormous amount of scripture today. In fact, we're going to read most of the chapter, I mean, can we really assume God cares even when things get worse? Even when those impossible situations manifest themselves before us? Can we assume that uh, there is no God? Should we not assume there is not a God? How do we handle that? Let's begin reading John chapter 11, verse one. Now a man named Lazarus was sick and he was from Bethany. Now we'll hear this in a moment. By the way, uh, John gives us a lot of little what we call parenthetical insight. He wants to make sure we don't miss certain points. So it's kind of like in drama, uh, a subscript or stage notes. And so we're kind of brought in and we get one of those quickly because we know Bethany. Well, if you don't know that, is just a, just a few miles, just a suburb of Jerusalem. And so it says he's from Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. And then verse two is one of those little behind-the-scenes statements. Just, just so we'll know, this is the Mary, he says, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick. That was the same one that poured the perfume on the Lord. Remember, she fell down at his feet, took her hair, and wiped it. And there were some issues in the room when that happened. And he says, That's the same one. Verse 3. So the sisters sent word to Jesus Lord, the one you love is sick. Now immediately we're we're brought into understanding of there's a problem with this family. It's very obvious. The problem is Lazarus is really really sick, not kind of sick, not sort of sick. He's really sick, so sick that the family's going to send a messenger to the Lord Jesus an urgent message to say, look, man, dude, we may need help more than a physician here. We we're gonna need the son of God in this particular situation because it does not look like Lazarus's. I mean, I mean, the doctor's done all he can and he looked at us and he shook his head like, hey, hey this is terminal. This is, this is bad news, man. This is, this is really, really bad. And, and so that's why we sent for you. And, 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 and the other thing that we, we, we know from our Bible is that this is a family. We don't know it from here, but we just know when we look at all the gospels, we think Jesus went to Bethany at least eight times. More than any other location over the three-year period, we believe that he at least eight times that we either have some evidence scripturally or some extra biblical information. So this was one of the most premier bed and breakfast places for Jesus. He liked these people. He liked those two sisters. He liked Lazarus. Maybe it was the hammock in the backyard. Maybe it was the food they provided. Maybe it was just he could totally unwind and relax. I think we all can relate to that. There's some places, I hope you have one of those kind of places in your life where you can just go and just unwind and you're comfortable there and there's no pretense. You don't don't feel like any obligation. Evidently, they were such good hosts and hostesses that, that Jesus just loved to take he and his disciples there and Jesus would hang out. Verse number four, Bible says, and when he heard this, Jesus said, the sickness will not end in death. Now look at that proclamation. No, he says, it is for God's glory that the son of God may be glorified through it. Verse five, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. As we read along here, you'll see all kinds of indicators of how Jesus felt against these fine church going folks. It's gonna be very obvious. John makes a big deal of this. Hey, I want you to know how much Jesus loved these three people. He loves them. I mean, he loves them. Just like the Lord loves our students, loves our young adults, and median adults, and senior adults. He loves you and he loves them. The Bible goes on to say in verse six, so when he heard that Lazarus was sick, Of all things, listen to this, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to the disciples, let us go back to Judea. We just stop and we have to, I think at this point, shake our heads. Jesus loves them. That's amplified over and over. He makes this incredible pronouncement. Hey, this man's not gonna die. Well, he does die and it's not going to end in death, and it did at least seemingly end in death, but there's some specific purpose, uh, Jesus indicates here, some God-ordained concept or something that we can gather from this. Now, go back and look in verse number four, that word glorified. There's a hint there for us because the idea there is a reputation enhanced. In other words, Jesus is saying this scenario is really gonna help us know more about Jesus and know more about the Father and who they are. But our hearts are gripped out of verse six with 911. I was joking with Mike Britton, one of our uh, great men in the church who has for years been on this rural rescue unit. I don't know what it's called, the the Harleton Volunteer Fire Department Rescue Group. In all hours of the night, Here's Mike in his late 70s, and his buzzer goes off, and he's going out chasing down house fires and car fires and rescuing people out of cars out there in the boondocks. And it's like, man, what would prompt you? What would propel you to do that? But can you imagine one night, old Mike getting a 911 call? Hey, there's a car on fire down three miles from, from, from the fire department here. Uh, a lady's trapped in the car, and, and, and they're calling and they're needing help, and Mike's saying, well, we're just going to hang out here for a while. We'd say, man, why, why would you do that? Or, or maybe a medical emergency. Hey, man, we're up here. My, my husband's on the floor, and he's not breathing. And he said he had chest pains before he passed out, and I need help. And I, I mean, this is one of those kind of moments, Jesus is not too much. This is kind of a life or death kind of thing. These are people you love. We would expect Jesus to jump up and say, hey, we're not, boys, we're not gonna have time to walk in. Get get me the fastest camel possible. We're gonna boogie back there quickly because Lazarus is almost dead. And of all things, Jesus says, hey, hey, hey. This man's not gonna die. And second of all, Let's relax. No rush. No big deal. You know, it just reminds me of how quickly we run to our Lord and tell Him, hey, we got some needs. Lord, we got some issues in our life going on. We need a job. We need this relationship fixed. We need restoration of this. We've got this addiction going on. And, and it's like, hey, Lord, are you going to be too busy for us like you don't notice? And, and many times we come back and say, does God even love me? And, you know, at least, I mean, if you and I put our thinking caps together, we know at least of one account where Jesus told a man, hey, I'm not going to go back to your hometown to take care of your child that, 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 that really needs healing. You know what? I'm going to heal him remotely. Do you believe? And the gentleman takes off on the road home and he gets home and that child's been completely healed so lord really you don't even have to go we know you got the power to 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 be able to 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 heal lazarus remotely (laughs) wow and jesus says no no we're just gonna hang out here and that concept in verse seven is just hard for us or in verse six To process. Now look in verse 7 again. And then they said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. Is that what it says? Yes. Look in verse 8. But Rabboni, rabbi if you will, teacher, exalted one. They said a short while ago the Jews there tried to stone you. And now notice this pronoun. And yet you are going back. Does that communicate something to you about how the disciples felt? (laughs) Hey, you're going to go back there. We barely got you out of Jerusalem a few days ago. Those people about killed you and about killed us. I mean, they were hurling those stones. We barely got out of town. And so if you want to go back, we would recommend not. They didn't say we're going to go back. They said if you insist on going back there, (laughs) be aware, Lord, those were treacherous moments. Look in verse 9, and Jesus answered, Are there not 12 hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in daytime will not stumble, for they see by this world's light. By the way, Jesus had just talked to him about him being the light of the world a little earlier. Look in verse 10. It is when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. Jesus, again, is just underlying the concept that in me, you always have protection. You always have light. I mean, you try to go on your own during the day. You got something. You go at night. You have nothing. You need me day and night. And that's what he's uttering behind the scenes to him. Look in verse 11. After he said this, he went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to wake him up. Now, of course, the disciples, ding, ding, didn't get it, did they? Wake him up. They thought, hey, man, he's really sick, so he's going to sleep three or four days. The disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but the disciples thought they meant natural sleep. You see how John's trying to help us along? I think he thinks that we really need a little extra here. He wants to be sure that at 11, mmm, 10 on a Sunday morning when you're thinking about lunch that you don't miss that. It's like, hey, the disciples didn't really understand. It meant like, dude, graveyard dead, dead. It meant like sleep, not the taking a nap, not the exhausted, I'm gonna take a little long nap. No, 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 don't get those two confused. And the disciples had them twisted. And so John's trying to make sure we got it. Look in verse 14. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. For your sake, I'm glad that I was not there so that you may believe. Let us, oh, now the pronoun's changed, hasn't it? Let us go to him. And then, old crazy Thomas, roller coaster Thomas. I mean, here here he goes. He's on a high note right now. We know other times Thomas is on a low note. Man, when he has any reservations or the situation gets too tense, old Thomas is the first one to bow up and start doubting. And he's the skeptic in the group. But right now, he's feeling pretty good. The Lord's kind of laid out some things. So Thomas jumps in there and says, hey, I'll go. You can count on me to head back, stones and all. Lazarus dead or alive, I'll head back with you. Look at how it's stated in verse 16. Then Thomas, known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, let us, let all of us go that we may die from him. Now let's write some things down and then we'll continue to read. I want to show you first the two false responses right here to a faith challenge that the Lord Jesus has laid down. Two false responses. Responses. I, I think that's significant that we write these down to this genuine faith. Oftentimes the Lord calls us to trust Him and we offer up false responses. One of those false responses that we see evidence here is is the false response of fear. God asks us to do something. Jot that down. Fear. He says, Hey, I want you to do this. You know, God asks us to do a number of things. In our Christian walk. For instance, he asks us first and foremost to spend time with him each day. Every day, the Lord says, Hey, here's what I'm gonna ask of you as a believer. Would you just sit down? And really, what he really wants is our first time, our premium time. And we say, Now, Lord, you just don't know how busy we are. We're a full time student, man. We're trying to work two jobs. We've got all these things going. We'll, we'll get you as much time, but it's like the fear of, hey, we're going to have to give up something else. So there's not going to be enough hours in the day. And, and fear, hey, we do that about what God's given us. God says, you want, He says, you want me to tell you as a believer of mine, a follower of me, there's one way you can demonstrate your faith and trust in me when whenever you receive resources, you take the first tenth, you peel it off, and you give it to the work of the Lord. The very first. We say, now, Lord, we've got five credit cards, and we almost maxed out on all five. We have a new baby. Lord, my wife's not working. And, And the Lord says, will you just trust me? Will you trust me? And fear speaks into your heart and you say, Lord, I do trust you, but just not that much. So one of the responses so often that we see a false response to be really genuine in our faithfulness, our trust, our fellowship with the Lord is fear. Another one we see here represented right below that with Thomas. We have others, and I just jotted it down as abandonment or a super spiritual response. Again, Thomas is in the valleys. He's on the mountaintops. And evidently, Thomas is feeling pretty good right now. He's way up there. And he says, woo-hoo, I'll go. Now, you know, we would have expected that of Peter, wouldn't we? Why didn't Peter speak up? Oh, bow-legged, bald headed dude, foul mouth. Always seems to be the first one to speak up. But of all the people, Thomas speaks up and he says, yes, we will go. Oh, Thomas, are you going to speak on behalf of all the disciples? We will go. And again, you kind of see a reflection here of one that kind of has a martyr mentality. Oh, I don't care what it costs me. I'll just go barreling there. they super spiritual. Many times people, when they find themselves in this situation, fall flat on their face because their faith is not rooted in substance. It's rooted in emotion. So I just want you to jot that down. There's some ways that we can respond in a faithful capacity that are false responses. Those would be evident of that. Go down to verse number 17. We got to keep reading. Y'all aren't listening fast enough tonight. Come on, get it in gear this morning, all right? On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days Now, Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem. Okay, John, as if we did not get that a little earlier. We got it. It's a suburb. We got it right outside of Jerusalem where the stoning took place. Yes, we got it. And he says, and many Jews had come out to to help Mary and Martha, their brother had died. And so they came out, probably brought some food, came out to love on them, came out to encourage them. It tells you something about these people were well-connected in fellowship in Jerusalem and Bethany. They were just good, ordinary people that had all kinds of friends. And so John just says, man, when we got there, it was incredible. People had come out. There were people there. they, They were trying to encourage his family and love on them. Verse 19, and many Jews had come to comfort them in the loss of their brother. Look in verse 20. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had just been there, if you had been there, there it is. My brother would not have died But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. And Jesus said to her, well, your brother will rise again. I, I I believe personally that Martha at this point kind of clicked into the theological, the eight visit kind of uh, mentality check. Hey, I, I remember that maybe visit number three, when Jesus was sitting around after dinner one night, telling us that, hey, there'll be a day that I come back, I'm going to be leaving, but I'm going to be coming back. And when I come back, the dead will rise with me. And I mean, I think she thought, uh-oh, ding, 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 ding. Here's part of the sermon. Here's part of the teaching. Here's the theological moment. And so she was, responds that way she says verse 24 well I know I know that I believe that I believe in you Lord I believe that, that that he will rise again at the end of resurrection at the last day and Jesus now before we blast oh Martha think about all that she's gone through she's midway in her mourning period the seven-day morn she's in day four Four days previous, she's buried her her, 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 her brother in this tomb. She's heartbroken. She believes in Jesus. She's a godly lady. But she asked the Lord to come. He could fix it. And things in her life have gotten what? Bad, worse, and now they're impossible. There's no hope. I think it's important before we read these words that we know so well that we jot down an incredibly important picture. Jesus' response is never neglect. Whatever you and I go through, Jesus' response is never neglect. Write that down. And listen to the words again. Jesus says to her, I am the resurrection of life, the one who believes in me will live, even though they die, and whoever lives by by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Look in verse 27, yes Lord, she replied, I believe that you're the Messiah, I believe, the Christos, literally, I believe you're the son of God who is to come into the world. For three weeks, God has had my heart around this passage. I have come to this place. I don't lead you there because I don't know if it is credible. I've just come in under the direction of the Holy Spirit to this place. I've come to the place. I think Martha gave God a textbook answer and avoided answering the question. I think Jesus was asking her, do you believe that Lazarus will live again now? And I believe that Martha says, oh yes. I believe he will live again because you are the Christos. You're the son of God who has come into this world Well, that's the theological yes. Martha didn't say, Lord, I don't know how you're going to do it or when you're going to do it, but I think it'll be soon. But I think that in the very near future, that stone's going to roll away over there and he'll come forth. She gave us a theological yes. And many of you, when you're hurting, that's what you give Hey, we're heartbroken. But do not doubt the Lord. Oh, I don't. I believe in the end he'll be back. I believe my dad's in a better place. But do you believe that if the Lord so chose to bring your dad forth, he would come forth? Well, I believe in the end my dad would come will come forth. But Martha, that's not what we ask. Do you believe? Interesting. The Bible says, in verse 28, after that, she had, after she said this, she went back, called her sister. Remember, Martha was the planner, top A. She was the boss. Mary was the subservient. Mary was a follower. Martha was the cook. Martha was the homemaker. She structured everything. She made sure that Jesus' sheets were clean. Mary... <laughs> She's the artistic one. She's the one that's devoted in her heart, so emotional, always the follower, always the helper. And so, of course, Martha goes back, Mary, you should be here, Jesus is here, he wants to see you. And of course, she quickly responds, the Bible says uh, uh, that in, in verse number 28, the teacher's here, she said, he's asking for you. I think that's a little chiding, by the way, a little chastisement. And, and when Mary heard this, yes, Hey, excited Jesus there, but also Martha railing on her. Uh, She got up quickly and she went to him. Now Jesus, in verse 30, had not yet entered the village, but he was still at the place where Martha had met him. Remember, she went out to meet him outside the village. And when the Jews that had been with Mary in the house comforting her, they noticed how quickly she got up. It was like, hey, we know these people are Baptists because it was like gossip began to spread. Hey, something's happened. Let's all run out there and Watch. She got up, she went out, and they followed her, this entourage of people that had come out to love on them, supposing that she was going to the tomb to mourn there. Verse 32, when Mary reached the place where Jesus was, she saw him, she fell down at his feet. Isn't that interesting? Mary was always at the feet of Jesus, wasn't she? Always there. Lord, if you'd just been here, my brother would not have died. Look in verse 33, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was moved in his spirit. We'll be back to that. And troubled. Something happened in our Lord right there. Something big. The viscera The language should suggest something internally triggered in our Lord at that moment. And it transmitted outwardly to all those people that saw him. They could see something special right there. Look in verse 34. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. And then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them, fascinating, could not he who opened the eyes of the bland, blind man have kept this man from dying. Isn't it interesting? Martha comes out and has this moment with the Jesus, and she asks Jesus, her request is, Lord, I wanted you to fix the problem. My brother was sick. We wanted you to fix the problem. We wanted you to make our brother healthy again. Mary comes to the Lord Jesus, and she asked Jesus, why didn't you fix the problem? We're here because of the problem. Everything was fine. Then Lazarus got sick. And so what we're asking you is... Can you fix the problem? Can you make our brother live? Can you fix it where he does not die? That's our problem. Uh, uh, Make our life work again. Make it function. Restore my marriage. I, I need a job. I need a better job. I need to be on a diet. I need help staying on a diet. I need help fixing my life. Maybe we took it a little too far scripturally, but you get the picture. And then even the spectator Jews. I mean, they're just guests there. They're saying, you know, surely if this guy can heal somebody blind, he could have fixed this. Why didn't he fix it? And there's our question for the morning. How do you and I handle these moments when we ask God to fix something in our lives And he doesn't do it. In fact, it digresses and it not only gets worse, but it goes from bad to worse to impossible. That's an incredible question. And what Jesus is bringing forth here is, hey, I have a better gift. I have a better solution. I'm going to make your brother better than he ever was before. And this is an incredible statement right here. Jesus wept and the people around him saw his emotion, they sensed that. Mary's first question, but Lord, why didn't you come and fix my brother? Mary's first question to Jesus after sinning: Lord, why didn't you come and fix the problem? And the Jews' first observation, why did you not fix the problem? Can you write this down? One of the things we've got to guard against, you and I, our focus when we go through these difficult times should never be on asking the Lord just to fix the problem. It should never be about that. There's so much more that's going on. Now with the five minutes I've got left, I'm going to need you to write down four things that I want to take with you about this incredible scenario. The Bible says in these last few verses, Jesus goes to the tomb. He asks the tomb be rolled away. Notice Jesus in the text never touches Lazarus. The tomb is open. Jesus speaks. He speaks. And Lazarus comes forth. And out of this whole scenario, you and I walk through these four things. These, These can be helpful. Number one, let's shut it down when things go from bad to impossible or seemingly in our life, number one, in relationship, you and I have really got to believe, belief. I don't know where you caught it or not. Verse 15. First time we are come in contact with this word, uh, believe, or this concept in this chapter. And who was it related to the disciples? Jesus said, you know something that's good, guys? You don't, you, I mean, I know you don't understand it yet, but t- let me tell you something good. Lazarus is real sick and he's about to die and that's really good for you. It's really good that Lazarus is about to die for you because you are going to be able to believe, dude. I don't mean believe. I mean believe. And as the reader, you and I many times miss that. You come down to verse 25 and 26 and we see another encounter with belief. How important is this? huge. It's all the way. It's woven all the way through the chapter. Martha, Martha, do you believe? Verse 25, do you believe? Martha, verse 26, do you believe? How important is it? Mary, do you believe? And then you get down there at the end Look, uh, look, look, look down in verse forty and forty-one and forty-two. Let's just read those quickly. He 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 says in in uh, in in verse thirty-nine. Hey, Martha says, hey hey, don't don't open up that, don't open that up. Four days, he's going to stink, man. He's going to smell. There's going to be a foul. What's the King James? say? foul odor. Uh, There's going to be a putrid, a bad odor. He's been in there four days. And look at, at the end of verse 40. Did I not tell you that if you believe? There it is again. Look in verse uh, 41. So they took away the stone. Jesus looked up and he said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. And then, of course, we have some more explaining here. I knew that you always hear me. But, but, but I said this for the benefit of those people standing here that they may what? There it is again. That they may believe. Do you get that picture? The disciples. This is all happening so the disciples might believe. So Martha would really believe. So Mary would really believe. And then just these people. Have you ever stopped to think that maybe God is not acting in your life when you say fix this and it goes from bad to impossible? Because hey, there's going to be maximum impact. The whole team is going to see how the coach responds. The whole deacon body is going to be able to believe and see something that happens to this one deacon. The whole church is able to be witness to this moment. The whole city of Longview sees how a church body responds. "Do you believe?" But it's in those moments that some good-intentioned neighbor says, "Man, I know that you're kind of the church kind of person. And I'm sorry that your God didn't do anything. But we got this supper club. 20 year old girl I know man that's a tragedy your mom died at age 48 but we got this sorority really no need to believe in this God or he would have done something how stupid can that response be see we have the opportunity to see behind the scenes and the whole picture we hold the whole canon so you and I can learn something very important. Here's what our Lord is after in, in our hearts. You just believe. You believe and you don't shake. You believe. But Lord, he's for Believe. But, 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 but Lord, I, believe. That's so important that our Lord knows that we trust him. I have a young man in my life. He has a girlfriend for the first time. And uh, he mentioned the other day to me, he says, I'm thinking about that this may be the one that I'm going to marry. And he says, can I ask you some questions? And I said, yes. He goes through a whole list. He's written all those questions down. One of his questions is, uh, do you think I should marry her? And my answer was, I have no earthly or heavenly idea. But I said, in response to that, I have some questions for you. The number one question is, can you trust her? When you're away at work, are you worrying about what's going on at the house? When you travel out of town or she travels out of town, can you trust her with finances? Can you trust her morally? Do you trust her? Let me tell you something. That's a great bond in marriages when the wife says, hey, my hubby may not be perfect, but I trust him with everything in me and some of you are looking at me because you've been through a bad marriage, you've been through troubled times, maybe you're divorced, maybe divorced two times, three times you say, I'll never trust another man again. When, then you could stand up here and give testament to how important this is. How much do you think our Lord as a student, as a young adult, as a meeting or senior adult today would say, hey, if there's anything you could bring me in our relationship, you and me, Jesus and you, it is, would you trust me? Would you believe? Number two. Jesus desires that we see the depth of his compassion. There's no way I can over-explain, over-amplify, or do anything greater than give you John chapter 11. There's no way I can convey. Some of you have recently, it's still raw in your life, lost someone that you love so much and it's broken you. Don't ever get to the point in your relationship with the Lord that you ever even hint or think that the Lord doesn't care about that. In fact, we have this evidence where the Bible makes such a big deal of this and here they are, they're crying, the Lord's come, Martha's had her account, Mary, Mary's broken, she begins to weep and when Jesus sees that, I mean Martha, that's one thing, but when Mary, the one that wiped his feet, the one that poured out such an extravagant, give everything she had, she was always at Jesus' feet. When he saw her brokenness, the Bible says, and man I wish we had time to go back and talk about these two Greek words, but something dramatic happen inside of him and I would suggest that if you can't believe this I don't know that there is hope but I'm telling you this is proof enough that our Lord cares deeply about you when you are devastated, when you're wounded, when you're hurt, when when you're vexed, when you're broken our Lord cares about that and you know what's so encouraging about this? These are three ordinary people this is not King Lazarus. This is not Prince Lazarus. This is not Princess Martha. This is just common, ordinary, good old folk. Oh Lazarus, Oh Martha, old Mary, that are just going through a tough time, just like in Oakland Heights Baptist Church. That's what we are. We're just good, ordinary, common folk. And how does God respond to that? Through his son. He responds to it by crying. Shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. He responds to it in such a dramatic way that people that were just kind of on the peripheral, these pockets of people that came out, the Bible says they were so enamored with this. Oh, look at that, look at that, look at that. Whatever Jesus had done in terms of demonstration moved the bleachers, the spectators began to, oh my gosh, look at that. So if there's two things I could tell you with certainty about how to handle those moments and, and they're gonna come in your life. If you're not in the midst of one, you will be in one. When you ask the Lord, Lord, can you just fix this? Can you just fix this? And the Lord doesn't. And it just devastates you. To to the extent it's so impossible, we can never go back. You know these two things. You gotta believe. Even in those moments. And our Lord has great capacity, great depth to love you. Number three, just two more things. Number three. It's very difficult This is kind of a Michael Cook thing here, but it's very difficult to resurrect anyone until they die. You do know that there could be no resuscitation if Lazarus hadn't died. I mean, most scholars would say there's no greater miracle. I mean, calming the sea is one thing. I mean, healing somebody externally, that's something. But you take somebody who's been dead four days, and they've embalmed them and wrapped them up and piled a bunch of stones over the entrance to the very casket where they are. And that dude comes out of those grave clothes and is alive. Whoa, dude. I don't know that there's a greater miracle in all the Bible. I mean, this is a moment. But the theory here is, I think, quite solid, isn't it? Without Lazarus dying, there could be no resuscitation no resurrection but you see that doesn't happen in many of our lives because as I talked to a guy from our church yesterday about this how so many believers we are pocket christians the Jesus thing, the God thing, the church thing is just one pocket of our existence. So we got our philanthropy going, we got our cultural arts, we've got all these different things in our lives. We got our work, we've, we, we're on this board, we're, we're, we're society driven, we wanna be uh, 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 everything to everyone. But you know, Oakland Heights, the Lord Jesus Christ, our kingdom work, it's one sliver, It's one pocket of many that we carry on us. As I shared with him yesterday, that's not real kingdom work. And that's not a real kingdom relationship. A real kingdom relationship is the 18 times that Jesus made some relationship statement that went along these lines. Hey, every single day you gotta die to yourself. Every single day, you got to pick up a cross. And every single day, I've got to be what? The king of your life. I've got to sit on the throne, not you. And you see, when we pocket, when we try to put him in a pocket, one compartment of our life, hey, we're on the throne. Many of us never die. And therefore, never, many of us will never be resurrected. One way or the other you see why a real relationship is so important? That connectivity. If you're here today, I'm not saying you shouldn't be a great Longview citizen. I love being a great Longview citizen. All I'm saying is whatever is left over goes to the city of Longview. After my Lord is served, after my wife and my family are served, then whatever the city of Longview and my my church anything that's left, whatever the little league can get, they can have. Whatever the Belcher Center wants, whatever the little school wants, they can have whatever's left over. But they will not get what the king in my life, the one that I'm called to serve, they they will never get what's his. Never. My university, my alumni association, they will not get the Lord's money. I love ETBU. I'll give to ETBU whatever's left over after I've served my king, my family, and my New Testament church. They can get right in there and fight with all the rest of them. There can never be a resurrection until there's a death. Have all of you really died to the Lord? Or are you still flailing around trying to get one leg on the throne, he's got another. Have you ever died to that? Hmm. It's a great question, isn't it? Number four, and we're done. We talked about the importance of believing. We talked about the depth of compassion. We talked about the resurrection requiring a death spiritually, and in this case, physically, there had to be a death. But number four, have you ever stopped to think about God often orchestrates situations to go from bad to the impossible? Here it is to recharge and intensify our relationship with Him. I don't know about you, but is there anything that intensifies us and focuses us more than a funeral, dude? (laughs) Everything stops. Funeral set. Our schedules have to adjust. Even in those moments when we know it's coming, it's coming, it's coming, our lives begin to be, all, I mean, if there's anything the Lord could have done, yes, he could have healed Lazarus remotely. It'd be done and it's done. Hey guys, Lazarus is awake. Now let's go on back to our food. But you know what? Those disciples would have lost that verse 15 moment that Jesus promised them, hey, when you go with me, you will believe. Can you imagine? Why didn't John give us those parentheses here and say, dude and dudettes, you should have seen Martha's face. (laughs) Dude and dudettes, you should have seen Mary say, you talk about falling in my feet. She didn't just fall on her knees. She fell flat over. And you should have seen the people, those, perif- those spectators that were whining. Well, he should have healed. He should have healed. He should have healed. You, you, there wasn't, a, there wasn't a, a, a beep or a peep. That dude came out of there pulling that old stuff off of him, smelling to no no, no telling what, trying to get where he could breathe. I mean, people began to run over there, no doubt to him, and try to help him. Hey, is this really him? Look, the dude's alive, man. I mean, can you imagine? You talk about something recharging. You talk about something intensifying. How long has it been? In your walk with the Lord that you've wept. Everybody was crying. The Lord was crying. Jesus Christ crying. Mary and Martha crying. People around, oh oh my God, I can't believe. Can you believe how much? I mean, the intensity of that moment. You couldn't have got that with anything else. I mean, think about for a moment, how long has it been? I mean, think about the fear of this and the fear of him dying. And now he did die. Now he's not coming back. Now maybe he'll come back. And the fear and being afraid. How long has it been since you've really been afraid in your relationship with the Lord? I'm not talking about outside factors, but just really afraid that you're going to disappoint him. You're going to let him down. How long has it been since there's been that kind of intensity with your Lord? See, so often we desire God to solve the big problems. God, just fix it. Just fix it. Fix the marriage. Fix my job. Fix my kids. Fix this. Just fix it. Will you fix it? And the Lord is saying, Hey, is that all this is? I just am here to fix things throughout your 62 years of existence of knowing me. You just want me to come in a few times and say, hey, I'll fix this, I'll heal this. I'll heal. And it's like the Lord is saying, "What? Well, so superficial. It's no big deal for me. I didn't even touch the man. I just spoke like I did all creation. Hebrews 11, the Bible says the Lord spoke and all creation came about. He didn't even touch him. It's like, that's not exertion to me, bringing somebody from the dead, cancer, whatever it is. That's no problem for me. What I'm interested in is my relationship with you. Don't worry about that. Don't worry about that other stuff. Why aren't you focused on me? How long has it been since you wept? Since you were really afraid? How long has it been since you had that kind of intensity in your relationship with your Lord? And let me tell you something, just you're shortchanging your relationship with the Lord. You are thinking so small when you just bring that issue to Him and and that's all you bring to Him. The Lord wants so much more than that. He wants your heart. It's the Lord's desire that it be Him and Him plus nothing. Lord, I need a good marriage. And of course, you too. And the Lord says, Am I just not enough? We'll get to the marriage another time. But what about just you and I and our relationship? Is it real? Or is it based on what I can do for you? But Lord, if, if, if there's just some way that you could help with this job situation, it's like, hey, I want a relationship with you and I plus nothing, plus no job, plus no marriage, if you, if you will, plus no health issues or finances or restoration. I am all you need. These other things, our small cakes. This chapter for me is God's in My heart is all about the power that's available to us in Him. And many of us are never going to tap into that because we don't have what we talked about last week. You don't. You don't have the real relationship in Jesus Christ. You're changed when you know Jesus. You're changed you're marked, you're sealed. And there's the big breakdown. But I'll tell you, the second big breakdown is even those of us that know him, when we come to John chapter 11, we're all about, hey, resurrection and the life. One day we're gonna be in heaven with Jesus. Let me tell you something. This chapter speaks to common people that have problems where the Lord doesn't answer it just the way they asked for it. And believing. Even in the midst of that, and understanding how much He loves us, the depth of His compassion. And all of a sudden, out of those things, we're recharged. I'm telling you, the Lord orchestrates certain things in our lives to get our full attention. And it's those moments that He ratchets it up the intensity where we can really have intimate conversations with him. Breaks my heart that more of the people at Oakland Heights Baptist Church, not responsible for new beginnings, not responsible for First Baptist, First Methodist, no, 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 no. God's called me to be responsible for this this flock. And I can only speak to what's happening in this flock. Breaks my heart that so many good people That really have good intentions to know the Lord, do the church thing, never go beyond that. So superficial that we would just ask the Lord to fix a few problems. So much more. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for these moments. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you for the power of your word. Father, is there someone here that has been asking the Lord to take care of a problem in their life? And We're not here to take a whip and say, hey, you shouldn't do that. Yes, we're to trust you with all things, my goodness. We're to hand all those difficulties and challenges over to you, absolutely. But Father, if that's really at the key of our relationship, the very center point of our relationship, that we bring a few things to you when we really need something, Father, I don't know that there's anything that's more superficial than that kind of relationship. And then to have the audacity to say, well, the Lord didn't fix this the way we ask. In fact, it got worse. In fact, it's impossible. Now now I can never be fixed. God didn't hear me. God doesn't care. God doesn't love me. God doesn't exist. (laughs) Father, that's about as crazy as two Russian cosmonauts 38 years ago that went up in a little capsule just about 60 miles into outer space and came back and made the proclamation, we've searched the heavens and there is no God. How ridiculous. They were able to see less than one hundredth of 1% of what we think is in outer space and they came back with that assertion. (laughs) We've searched the heavens and there is no God. Father, we know that there is a God and you are he. And you loved us so much that you sent your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to pay for the penalty of sin that has invaded all of our lives. And Father, for us to try to blame that on Adam and Eve, I I guess they're certainly partially responsible. But Father, everybody in this room, including the pastor, number one, we have done our own bidding at sinning. We've certainly done our part to be labeled a sinner. So Father, today, are there those that have really never believed? I mean, believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, trusted him and be willing to step up to the plate and say, I'm going to trust him in the good times and the bad. I'm going to trust him when I ask him to fix something and he doesn't because my God is greater than that. And there'll be nothing that will shake me, not in a fiery den with other men, not in a den of lions, not in a world that tries to devour me, not even when death invades my home, will God ever change my heart to not believe. So God, I just bow down before you today and say, hey, if my pain and my agony can have an impact, As this did on the peripheral Jews, many of them that were sarcastic and really not even believers, they just came out out of an ethnicity of being Jewish, out of some simple relationship with Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Father, if that could touch their life, then so be the pain that it might exist forever and touch the lives of hundreds and thousands of people. But Father, only a prayer would be offered up by an individual that has really been transformed and changed. Selfishness has got to die. The throne has got to be evacuated because when we're changed, there's a new king in town. And Father, I just pray that as we seek your face and your will, Father, as we go to lunch today, I pray that there might be a man or a woman that is just restless. That this afternoon, they continue to be restless. That tonight, as they lay down, they toss and they turn because deep in their heart, they know something resonated this morning, something spoken in truth out of your word has resonated. And Father, I pray that they would fall to their knees and say, oh God, I may or may not like that, man. But I'll tell you what I like, I like your word today Lord your word spoke to me as a student and brought me to my knees Father would there be some tears oh how long has it been since we've wept would there be some fear of what God might do if we continue down this path would there be an intensity so Father enough said today as your Holy Spirit is at work Take your word and do what you desire to do. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.